Hi, I'm Mike Tarvisano. I'm ordained as an Osho in our community. I'm going to be talking about the last of the four main foundational models in our system of mindfulness, the four directions. This talk completes a set of four talks between myself and my brother Osho Brad, where we're going over the, the, the basis for our system of mindfulness, the, the main models that lead up to the process within the four directions for gaining clarity, gaining insight, and, and relieving ourselves of emotions and sensations and thoughts that, that trouble us. Uh, Brad started uh, with, the, the found, with the foundational model of causal origination, the one that describes who it is that I think I am in the world and how that uh, influences the thoughts that I have, conscious thoughts and unconscious, which generate emotions, and it's my emotions that I, that I act on, that I, that I say and do things based on, and those actions have consequences, and those consequences feed right back into that image of who I think I am. So it makes this wheel, this cycle, and if I tend to just sort of go on autopilot, my unconscious thoughts based on my conditioning, that that, that wheel turns very much into a wheel of suffering. But the, the idea of mindfulness, the whole proposal of mindfulness is if I can become aware of the emotion as it happens, or if I can catch it soon after when it's not helpful, and I can understand what thought is generating that emotion, and where's that thought coming from in my story of myself and my basic programming, and can I change that? Can I make a decision, a conscious decision about that? and change it. And instead of going around and around in the hamster wheel of suffering, I turn it into the wheel of nirvana, a wheel of growth, a wheel of uh, action based on um, emotions that come from thoughts that are clear and aligned with who I most want to be in the world. So that's the, the first primary understanding that we, we have. I then talked about uh, the, the following week about uh, this aspect of myself, this ego-self aspect, which lives in that first model as the person who I think that I am in the world, but that there's this other aspect of myself, this true self aspect. This is my Buddha nature. This is the, the seed I have within me to have complete uh, awareness and connection with all that exists around me. And how I can draw upon that true self in order to take care of and look out for ego self Mike so he doesn't bump into too much stuff. Or when he does bump into it, inevitably, which he does, to find some help and relief. And then Brad talked uh, last time really well about uh, the voice we have in our head. Where does that come from? Why does it sound that way? Why is it often so critical? And, and when it is critical, what, do, what does that generate? Uh, and is there another voice that I can hear uh, or I can draw upon consciously when either this critical voice or this nurturing voice that may not always be so helpful, you know, oh, Mike, you did, you did fine. You're fine. Don't worry. You know, Mike, you're fine. Forget about it. They'll get over it. That's a nurturing voice, but it may not be so helpful, right? Is there another voice that I can draw on? Again, it's the voice of my true self, an, an adult voice within me that I can consciously choose. And so tonight I'm going to talk about the last of the four main foundational models. It's called the transpersonal model 
or in, in transpersonal indicates beyond persona. Uh, and I, I, I love the title of it because it really has a, an interesting double meaning, beyond persona. And what it's describing is, is this tendency that we have, uh, my ego self, my, my Mike who lives in the world, has a tendency, if left on his own accord, to see himself as the center of everything, right? It's, it's my movie, you're just all, you know, co-stars, maybe, bit players. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, the, I'm the star, and, and I either will win an Oscar or a Razzie, I don't know, we'll, I guess we'll see. But I tend to see myself as the center of, of my own story. And in doing so, I look beyond myself, beyond persona, to I project outward onto people and things and experiences and places uh, in order to help me along the way or to, to solve the great problems I encounter in my life of what's lacking within me. There's why, why do I feel the way I do? Well, it's outside of myself. If only X, then I'd be happy. If X then happy. And that X could be anything. If they would be different. If they wouldn't have said that. If only this thing wouldn't have happened when I was a kid. If only I'd have this job. If only I had six-pack abs. If only I had this relationship. Whatever that, whatever these things are, I'm looking beyond myself. I'm looking outside, projecting onto things outside of myself to for solutions to what makes me suffer. So beyond persona, that's one meaning. But I said there's a double meaning. Uh, beyond persona also gives insight into where this model is ultimately headed. That in order to understand where I can truly look to find clarity and a true sense of connection and peace, I don't look outward. I don't want to rely on projections outward. I want to look inward. And when I say look inward, ultimately I want to rely on this thing that we talked about, my true self. This, this beingness within me. I need to look beyond persona, beyond the idea that I am just this little Mike trying not to bump into stuff. That I'm something much, much more vast, much greater, much more connected and in relationship with everything that there is. This idea of oneness, I say this kind of over and over again, sounds, it could threaten to sound like a new age mumbo jumbo kind of, you know, oneness thing, but it's, it's not. In, in, our, in our teaching and in, in our practice, oneness is something that I experience. Oneness I can see right in front of me. I can see that I have a relationship between myself you, myself in the air, myself in the animals around me, myself, and it's snowing pretty hard. And <laughs> pretty, I'm sure it's not getting captured on camera, but it's beautiful. My relationship with that, that I can look outside and I can notice the snow. I hope everyone's safe if they're driving in it, but I can see that's beautiful. And, after, and having seen it, recognize that my day is now fundamentally changed maybe in some tiny way, right? But it's fundamentally changed because I just saw that and I noticed it and that exists in this world. And no amount of money 
job description, uh, relationship, or anything could change how beautiful the snow looks. It couldn't change it, couldn't add to it, couldn't take it away. In our mindfulness practice, that beingness, that's what we can look to. We can, re we can, we can look to it for true meaning and purpose and help and love within ourselves. I don't have to project outward. So, um, describe the model. We often talk about this model as the solar system model because if you were to draw it out, it looks that way. It looks like a, a series of, of three concentric rings with the true self right in the center of it. In fact, uh, Sensei Tony often talks about if you, if you take the three concentric rings and you turned it on its side, it would look like a cone. That It sort of falls toward the, the center, almost like uh, that, that image of uh, how space-time warps around gravity, you know, that sort of bends into it, that, it, that things fall toward the true self. And on the outermost ring of, of this transpersonal model is our ego self. So instead of it being the center, it's on the outer. And instead of looking outward, we're going to look inward through the other rings toward our true self. And the, this model, just a quick note, it uses, uh, borrows terms from depth psychology, which is the Carl Jung brand of psychology. Uh, and it, it does so because it, it, there's a good alignment between what we're trying to communicate from a Buddhist mindfulness practice and what we experience, what Carl Jung experienced as aspects of the psyche himself, aligns very well. So, bar from it. So, the ego self is on the outermost ring. The second ring in is our anima. And we, we describe the anima as that aspect within ourselves that is naturally drawn to things that, uh, that we find uh, creative, that we have an energy or an attraction towards. In fact, in, in classic, classically used, the, the term anima has a tendency to, to talk about libido and sexual energy, but it's more than that. These are the, these are the aspects within ourself that uh, represent our, our spirit. In fact, anima means that, uh, spirit. This, uh, the, the activities we do that we get lost in, that we find great meaning in, that we, uh, we can be in the zone when we're doing them, whether that's playing music or doing art or practicing a martial art or knitting or cooking or hiking or going for a walk or any of those things that we are drawn to do and, and we would say that kind of that defines me or who I think I am, these things that feel really, really uh, good to do and I'm attracted to do. I can find meaning in those activities. Instead of projecting outward, I can, I can find a greater sense and, of peace and purpose and meaning in these things that I do, that I'm naturally drawn to. So in between our ego self and the true self, the first ring that we encounter in our solar system is the anima. The next ring is the shadow. The shadow is the aspect of our psyche that uh, is often uh, the most difficult one to uh, talk about or to encounter or to deal with. 
The shadow represents the earliest part of our, of our psyche when we were kids and maybe something happened and we didn't know how to process that thing. Uh, so the, the sense we made of it uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to us. And they exist as thoughts uh, that, can, that can be scary, that can be troublesome, uh, that can uh, lead us to want to push them down. These thoughts come up and, and our reaction is, oh my God, push that, I don't think that. Mike, do not think that. God, what kind of person would have that thought? Who, what kind of awful person would think that? How did I think that? Everybody has those thoughts. Every human has those thoughts, every one of them. They can be horrible and dirty and, and terrifying and scary. Uh, and everyone has those thoughts. It doesn't, those thoughts are just thoughts like any other. They don't define us. They often come from a place that we just didn't know how to process it when that thought formed. They also have a tendency to be highly, highly metaphorical. Where, uh, for instance, um, I was just watching a show recently and one of the characters on the show was having an issue with a friend and they they kind of admitted a thought to themselves that I wish that I wish they would just die if they could just die and immediately they reacted as you can imagine like oh my what kind of person would have that thought who would want their friend to die what kind of person am I metaphor when the thought like that arises unless there's some sort of psychosis involved. They're, they're metaphorical. It doesn't want the friend to die. They want something to change. They're looking for some, maybe something in the relationship or the friend to do something different. But whatever the thing is, they just need the current state to be different from what it is. That's, that's, that's an example of a, of a shadow thought. And, and we treat them in our mindfulness practice as as you might, as you might expect, they're thoughts. They're just like any other thought. They're just a thought that isn't uh, understood. It's not clear yet. It hasn't been integrated into my whole being, but I can. If I have the courage to look at it, and it takes courage. I'm not saying any of this is easy, but when we can look at those thoughts and un and gain some understanding, where are they coming from? And what do they really mean? And do I have to listen to them literally? Of course not. Can I choose something other than that thought? I can. We can get tremendous, tremendous benefit from, from looking at these shadow thoughts and processing them that way. I have myself, um, <laughs> I. I don't say it flippantly or lightly that these things are easy to, to deal with. In fact, just, you know, some months ago, I was working, I was working on one. Uh, and, and luckily, I have a good teacher. Uh, so Sensei Tony and I were, were, were working on it together. And, and he, <laughs> he practically reached into my, in, into my gut and pulled the sucker out. Uh, and it was hard. I didn't. Uh, it even surprises me to think about it now, how hard it was to say the words, to, to just get the thought out that I could look at it, right? And once I did, it was like uh, a tremendous weight. Because now it's not, thoughts, 
thoughts can feel like they are you, right? That you carry them with you and that you, and, and, and like a backpack that weighs 700 pounds, right? But we don't have to carry the backpack. You can take the backpack off. You can work with somebody who, who knows what they're doing, who, who can help. Uh, we can take the backpack off and we can look at the thought. And we can see it for what it is. That's a thought. That's not me. I am experiencing that thought. I am not that thought. I can make choices about that thought. I can gain some understanding and clarity about that thought. My thoughts from my shadow don't have to terrify me. Sensei Tony, he often says that in the shadow, nothing can be rejected. Nothing can be. Nothing is rejected. And this is the reason why the shadow is the ring that is innermost to our true self. It's the conduit. It's the most direct linkage between our true self and, and the things that trouble us within us. There's grace in the shadow. Because anything could happen, anything can ha any thought could reside in the, in the shadow, no matter how grotesque or scary or violent or horrible or, or terrifying, it means that nothing is rejected, that it allows room for anything. And that is the essence of the true self, that in my true self, nothing, nothing is rejected. And that's why. So I don't have to be scared of them. I can learn from them. I can process them, just like any other thought. And of course, we come now to the center of the transpersonal model, our true self. That in my true self, in that aspect of who I am that is beyond boundaries, beyond its fears and worries and birth and death and needing to be anything else is where I find true, true inner peace and love and compassion for those who suffer and joy for those who are not. I hope this was helpful. If you have any questions or, or would like to work with us, please reach out. Reach out on Sensei Tony's website, Ask Sensei Tony, or, or any any of us who, who you're in touch with or on YouTube, you know, however you want to get to us, we're, we're happy to help you. Be well. Thank you so much.